Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of An Amber Day, the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Fisher. Thank you so much for joining me today on this episode. So this is going to be another um, episode of Conversations with Amber, but this time we're going to be changing things up a little bit. So I get a lot of questions throughout various social media platforms from people who would like advice about different things, but um, maybe don't have the means to move forward and go through a discovery session or they don't have PCOS, so they're not part of my PCOS group. Shout out to you if you are part of my PCOS group, though. You can find information for that in the show notes. It's pretty awesome. But I wanted to, I, I started thinking about it and I'm like, why do I not just answer these people's questions on the podcast? Because what I've been doing is telling them, I'm sorry, I can't give you advice over the internet because the, the reality is that I, I really can't um, give personal directed advice to people over the internet who are not my clients. Um, but there's nothing that says that I can't bring those questions and incorporate them into podcast episodes and discuss them. And it's great content. So with that said, um, I have created a Google form that um, it's going to be on my link tree on all my social media platforms. It's going to be linked below as well. If you have a question about your health issues, it doesn't have to be PCOS specific, doesn't have to even be fertility specific. It can be functional nutrition in general, or hey, life questions, I will answer it. So um, I can't promise that I'll answer everybody's questions, but please, if there's something that's been bugging you or something you have a question on, um, just fill out the little form. All you have to do is put your name and your question, and then I will start incorporating uh, questions into podcasts, and it'll help me just to be a little bit more targeted with that. So I'm excited about it. I hope that sounds exciting to you. Um, so today, I want to catch up with you guys on what's been going on in my life because it's, uh, you know, it's been a bit since we've had a conversations with Amber episode. And I'm going to answer a couple of questions that I got recently on Instagram. So what's been going on with me? I think since the last time that we had an episode like this, a lot has happened. Um, so I, <laughs> spoiler alert, I got really burnt out of my life. Um, of, of just everything in general. I was just feeling really, really burnt out and really overworked. And, you know, like I do, I overscheduled myself. I got overambitious and I was just really feeling like I needed to take a step back from everything and reassess and get a better sense of what's really meant for me and where do I want to direct my energies I feel really lucky that I am in a field that I know that I am good at and that I am passionate about. 
But one of the things that's a little bit of a downer is that because I'm so passionate about what I do, I often pick up these extra side projects because they sound fun and they sound exciting and just realize that I overcommit myself. So it's just a, a, you know, an eternal problem that I am always running up against. So I've overcommitted myself again. So I needed to take some time to just think and process. And that is kind of what I have been up to lately. I did go on an official vacation. I took a full social media detox while I was there because one of the things that I was struggling a lot with, and I probably alluded to this in previous podcasts, was I was really struggling with... um with thoughts and feelings around social media. So when you run it for a business, those of you who like have a business account on on Instagram, for example, or TikTok, you know that it's like, it, it becomes difficult because it's no longer a place where you go to relax and unwind. Now it's a place where you feel this pressure to perform. And for me, I feel a lot of pressure to perform, to inform. I feel a lot of pressure to educate. I feel pressure to create consistently high quality content. Um, but I, I knew that that's what I was doing because I've gone through some waves of this before. And so I said, you know what, this time I'm going to step back, really step back. I'm going to take a full detox. So I did some prep work and I scheduled some things out. And, you know, I've been doing a lot more of that, of scheduling things. And it helps a lot to keep me balanced in my life when I have a schedule. Um, but I scheduled some things and then my, my family, my husband and son and I, we went to Florida and had a little vacation. I have been going to this town in Florida. A lot of you have probably been there. It's called Seaside since I was in middle school. So it's always been this place that has just been very calming and peaceful to me. I have so many good memories there. We, we went there quite a bit with my family growing up. And so I just, every time I go there, I just feel like I almost like I go back in time, like, or like there's a, there's a different version of me who lives there. And, uh, and she doesn't have you know, she doesn't care as much what other people think. So yeah, uh, that is what we did. We we took a, a social media detox. And one of the things that, um, my therapist is another, another new thing is I've started seeing a therapist, which I know I told you guys I was going to do. And I finally did it. And I have a great therapist. She's awesome. Um, but one of the things that, we've been pondering on in working together is the idea that as you develop more of a public persona as a person, you have to kind of be okay with the dichotomy between your public persona and who you really are. So I try to be, and I always pride myself on being as real and raw and authentic and vulnerable on the internet as I can be, because I think we have far too many people out there who are telling lies or they're exaggerating or they're just not being real. Right. And, and that's icky and I don't want to be icky. Anyway, that's just some stuff that, that I was, have been kind of going through now, just growing pains and stuff. And, um, all things that I did during my social media detox. And I have to tell you guys that 
I don't know about you, but if, if social media is anxiety causing for you, it was so healing to just not check that stuff for a week. I mean, a full week, I did not pick up my phone for anything except looking at the menu at a restaurant. You know, I, you know what I did do? I read books. I read a ton of books. I think I read five, five books while we were in Florida and we were only there for a week. But the social media detox was, was huge, was very necessary. And I'd highly encourage you if you haven't done something like that and you do spend a lot of time on social media, there are um, apps that you can get on your phone that will tell you how much time you're spending on these things. I just try to take some time to be aware. And I found that, that even awareness wasn't enough, that really what I needed was a full step back. But that week gave me so much perspective. I really just felt like I cemented for myself that I want to live in the present. I don't want to live in the past or the future. Uh, another thing that I've been working on in therapy is, is that. So much of my life, I, I realized, was either me living in the past, reliving memories, thinking about people from my past, like thinking about moments from my past, all this kind of thing. Or it was thinking about the future. And primarily my thinking about the future was worrying about the future. What's going to happen if this happens or if that happens or like what's coming down the bend for me. And part of this was an adaptive response to the fact that the last five or six years of my life have been kind of difficult. They've been a little shitty in some ways, like some stuff has come out of nowhere for me that was really hard to deal with. And so I've adapted this sort of like stress response to like worry because the thought is, hey, if I worry about it, like maybe it won't come true, right? But I realized that I spend so much time in either the past or the future that I never really get to experience the beauty of the present. And the interesting thing about that is that I thought that I was really doing a better job of being present. And and I guess maybe I was before, but, but lately I had not been doing a a good job of that. And so um, I started reading the power of now by uh, Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if it's Tolle or Tolle, Eckhart Tolle. I've always heard it pronounced Tolle, but maybe it's Tolle. Very good book all about, um, embracing the power of now. So like how you can transcend your, um, your mind and your thoughts. Basically the concept is that you observe your own thoughts. So you realize that you are not your thoughts. You are the thinker of your thoughts. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us know, kind of know this, but, but living it is a different thing because we often have a lot of things going on in our head and we, we really identify with that dialogue that we have going on in our heads and we think it's us, but really it's just our mind kind of like preserving itself and all our neurons firing in certain ways. And so we have to be above that and outside of that. And that has been really, really interesting. So I'm doing a lot of work on that. We're also in my PCOS book club, still reading How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicola Pera, which is a, a similar book in a lot of ways. Um, but it's about like, you know, working deeply on your traumas from your past and realizing how they are kind of controlling your present. 
the combination of those two things has been very healing. Another thing that I had done recently and I got the results while I was on vacation was I did some genetic testing. So, um, I, I recently got on with a new lab called three by four genetics to do genetic testing on some of my clients who, you know, are candidates for it. Um, just to kind of see, because a lot of us have genetic mutations, they're called SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms. Um, but they're like little mutations on our genes that can affect the expression of our genes. So, um, some of them don't really matter. Um, but some of them can really make a big difference and can affect your functioning as a person. And so I've always been curious, uh, because, you know, as a person who has worked pretty deeply on nutrition and health over the last, what, 10 years, um, and as a health professional, I've also experienced a lot of health issues. And so I've always been curious if there was some sort of genetic, you know, SNP expressing, um, that maybe it was contributing to things or if it was all lifestyle based and I was just like on the right, wrong track with certain things. So the genetic testing was really, really validating and it also was illuminating. So I learned from it that I have a collection of SNPs that is, uh, unfortunately very severe and affects almost all the different processes of my body. It's kind of amazing how resilient my body is given the cards that it's sort of working with. But it was also validating for me because when you feel like you're working so hard at something and you're not really getting through the door, uh, when I work with clients, so many of them have these dramatic, beautiful turnarounds in their health. Um, or they get pregnant, you know, or, or whatever it may be. And, uh, that was never the case for me. And so I often wondered if it was because I, it's tough to look at yourself objectively, you know, maybe, or, or if there was something else going on. Well, anyway, this, this testing was very validating because it really showed me that even though I, I've worked so hard, like number one, I wasn't always working in completely the right direction. There were some things I didn't even think about. For example, my expressions around caffeine, that I never thought about, um, are affecting my, my detox capacity. So welcome to the alchemy of natural healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. But there were also some SNPs that were strongly associated with estrogenic cancers, um, there were some SNPs that were strongly associated with, um, insulin resistance and with PCOS even. So it was validating to know that like, okay, those things were there and they, they, they're deeper. And so nutrition and lifestyle play a big role. And I can actually maybe alter the expression of some of these things with nutrition and lifestyle. But at the same time, it's validating to know that you're walking an uphill battle when you're walking an uphill battle because at least you don't feel like a failure. Does that make sense? Um, so, so I just feel like 
a lot of insights have happened over the last couple of months. And, and that's interesting um, because so much of that had, I had to take some quiet space to, to process that. And, you know, I know I haven't had as many podcasts coming out and everything lately. And, and that's been why, because I've been processing all of this new stuff um, to kind of, once I process it, then I can bring it to you and, um, and hopefully you'll get value out of that. So that's, what's been going on in my life. Um, now I want to talk about some questions that I've been getting, um, from, from people. Some of the kind of more common questions I have, these are specific questions from people. So if you're listening and this was your question, I hope it helps. Um, but there's two, two things that are kind of, uh, hormone focused and, and then, uh, or fertility focused and then one that's more hormone focused. So I'm getting a lot of hormone questions. Keep them coming. I love them. Uh, but the first question was what supplements can I take to help my egg quality for an IVF? I've done some videos about this recently. And I think by the time this comes out, there will be some content on my Instagram page as well. Um, if you guys don't, look too deeply at Instagram. I really use Instagram as, as a blog now. Um, so my captions are often chock full of like information. So if you've never read the captions, you just like liked the pictures or whatever, you might be missing stuff that might be really helpful. Just saying. Um, but I have been talking about egg quality and, and IVF and, uh, particularly PCOS lately a lot, but this applies to anybody working on egg quality. The IVF process is very draining. Um, so it's important that you have your nutrient reserves as built up as you can before you go through that. Uh, so often I work with people who have gone through IVF and it was unsuccessful and they regret spending their money on it before actually working on their health. If you are unhealthy and you know you're unhealthy and you feel unhealthy before you go through IVF, that's not a promising sign of your ability to be fertile and conceive. What we can do with science these days is amazing And there are definitely people who like otherwise would not have been able to have children who are having children via IVF. Like I'm one of them. Right. But, but it is still something that we can't depend on it completely. We have to do our part and our part is taking care of ourselves. So what does that mean? Well, for IVF, you really want to look at the three to four month period before your retrieval to optimize egg quality. Ideally, if you have six months, that would be even better. But uh, but three to four months is, is enough to make a big difference. And there are lots of supplements that can help. I'll put a caveat here to just say that not everything is right for everyone. Like you're a unique individual. I don't know your history. I don't know your story. So I can't say for sure, yes, you need to be on this or you need to be on that. Um, everyone's different. And definitely check with your healthcare provider, your doctor. Remember that this is not medical advice. This is just for information purposes, all that, okay? Um, That said, there's a couple that I really like to use for egg quality, um, N-acetylcysteine being one of them, NAC. This is a common one. It helps. It's a precursor to glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant. So our eggs are very fragile and they can very easily be damaged 
by oxidative stress in the body. So what deals with oxidative stress is antioxidants. Um, you also want to work on, on reducing the amount of oxidative stress that's being produced in the first place. So that's where, um, like eating a really healthy diet comes in, um, because it's less inflammatory. Uh, but, but also you can take antioxidants and those can help with egg quality. So there's been some, some research done on NAC being helpful for egg quality. Another one that I think is helpful is, um, CoQ10. I like to use ubiquinol. Um, but there's a product too on, um, that Thorn carries called QBest. And it's, uh, it's a more absorbable form of CoQ10. So I like that one as well. I'll link to that below. If you want to, if you want to buy that, um, if you buy through, through, my link to Thorn, my affiliate link, then I make uh, a little bit of, of profit off of that. So I appreciate that. Um, so NAC, Ubiquinol, those are, those are two of my favorites. Um, you also want to look at like underlying issues as well. So I always think like for egg quality that we need to look at probiotics because gut health plays such a big role in our overall health and then our overall health affects our egg quality. Uh, so it's really a downstream thing. It's not like, you know, it's not like you take these supplements and then they just like make your eggs go, you know, they're either protective for, for your egg quality or, um, you know, you build up your nutrients so that you're creating better quality eggs, but like probiotics, a good prenatal, um, is important. And, uh, you know, you want to look at like potential nutrient deficiencies that you might have. So like, um, if you have PCOS, like you might be deficient in like choline, um, choline's important for, for egg, egg health. So there are a lot of different ones. My favorites are NAC and ubiquinol, uh, or CoQ10, but, uh, Reservatrol as well as another one. You, you just have to find one that works for you. And I will say that with supplements for egg quality, you, you do kind of get what you pay for with those. So you might want to look at like the research studies. You can go on PubMed and look up research studies on this stuff and see what, um, potency they're using on those. Um, just so you can get a better idea when you buy supplements from Amazon or the grocery store, you're not really getting the best quality product. So um, it's better if you work with a practitioner and they can get you therapeutic grade things. Um, Thorn is a therapeutic brand, so that's why I recommend them. And they're one of the one of the few therapeutic brands that allows their products to be sold in this manner, you know, like through an affiliate link or something like that. So anyway, so I'll include links to some of my favorites in the show notes. But um, but there's lots that you can do supplement wise for for egg quality you do need to just pay really careful attention to your diet though. And make sure that you, if you can have a timeline of time before that three to four month period is really, really um, important. And uh, if you skimp on it, then it, you know, it may make, it may make a difference. So, okay. Um, I got a question about, um, I've gotten several questions from like young girls, teenagers, teenage age, who are having body hair, like thick, what they describe as like thick, dark body hair, um, kind of all over and they get their blood tested and their testosterone looks normal. 
and they want to know like what's going on. They don't have signs of PCOS according to their doctors. So here's the thing. There, there are many reasons why we could have dark hair, either facial hair or body hair. Um, sometimes it is genetic. So do look at your family and the women in your family. And do they have a lot of dark body hair, facial hair? If so, it's possible that that's a piece of the puzzle. But also, if you don't have any signs of of PCOS or high testosterone or anything like that, but you are getting facial hair, um, a couple of things. First, make sure that your definition of facial hair is not just what's normal. It's normal to have some hair on your face. It's normal to have uh, like peach fuzz on your face. And if you're dark, if you have darker hair, it's normal to have maybe even slightly darker hairs all over your face. Um, all people have hair on their face. So, um, it's can be embarrassing because we're taught that we're not supposed to have any hair, right? But that's not true. If you see people and they don't have hair, a lot of times it's because they're removing the hair. Um, a lot of women shave, you know, like I've seen more models, they shave from here down because they don't want that peach fuzz because it messes with their makeup. So a lot of people shave their, their faces or they wax their faces completely bare. And that's why it looks like they don't have any hair. Um, some people just have naturally thinner hair, naturally finer hair, naturally blonder hair as well. So that's important to remember. If, however, it's still kind of unusual and it's not accounted for by, by genetics or any of these other factors, then um, the first thing that I would look at is, is potentially insulin resistance. This is just becoming more and more common and more of an issue. And uh, so many younger women have issues with this because partially because they don't eat regular meals, partially because their diet quality is poor and there's a lot more sugar in the diet and things like that. You can tackle insulin resistance by being really careful about your meal timing and making sure that you're eating protein at every meal, and then also making sure that you're limiting your added sugars. So I would cut out sweets and sugary drinks and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that any human needs to be having those things. They're okay for an occasional treat, but they really shouldn't be something that's eaten on a daily basis and they shouldn't be snacks and things like that regularly. The exception to that would be fruit, of course, which is fine. Um, so I've done some other, uh, podcasts specifically on insulin resistance. So I won't go into a ton of depth on that, but that is often where I see excess hair coming from in, in younger women. So it's, it's something to look at also to remember that when you're young, your hormones are often less balanced than they will be as you get older. And just because your testosterone is not high doesn't mean that it's not high in comparison to other hormones. So it's all about the balance of the hormones. If you're also getting acne at the same time, then, you know, you might suspect testosterone. However, if it is a testosterone issue that often goes back to, um, either insulin resistance, or it goes back to like an adrenal issue. So an issue with your, your, um, DHEA output or something like that. And in that case, you have to look at underlying stressors. So how much stress are you under at work or school? Um, how well are you sleeping? Are you getting a good solid night's sleep? Like um, as a teenager, you need like 10 hours. Are you getting 10 hours of sleep a night? Or are you staying up late on your phone? Like, um, are you, um, are you eating well? Are you eating enough protein? Um, do you potentially have food sensitivities or food allergies? 
there are a lot of things that can go into this kind of stuff. If you can work with a nutritionist, it would, it, it's really helpful to just to kind of figure out where you may not be in the right place. Um, so that would be my recommendation there. Third and last question for the day, how can I lower my DHEA? So I was just kind of talking about this, but DHEA is, uh, produced by your adrenal glands. It's a, it's a, it's an androgen. So it's like a male hormone. So like testosterone is an androgen as well. So DHEA is an androgen. And a lot of people with PCOS have high DHEA. Um, a lot of, uh, there can be issues with DHEA across the, across the board. And and what it is, is we want to look at underlying stressors. So we do want to look at lifestyle stress. Like I mentioned before, you know, work, school, sleep, uh, community connection, all that kind of stuff is really important. Um, working on being present, read the power of now. Right. Um, but we also want to look at like maybe potentially other reasons why there could be underlying stress. So food sensitivity and food allergy is my favorite one to look at because as a nutritionist, I just catch this a lot. Right. But those can be causing an inflammation that can be like a stress on the body. Excessive exercise as well. I often see, um, if you're doing cardio like five, six days a week, it's probably too much. Uh, think about cutting back on cardio and just doing light walking, light yoga, uh, and then some resistance training, like, uh, slow, heavy weights. We don't need to be doing these hit workouts or these circuit workouts all the time. It's such a myth that, that more is more with exercise. It's not true. In a woman's body, less is more with exercise. It's, I've seen that so many times and it's so common in those with high DHEA. So take a good, honest look at yourself. Are you over exercising? Um, what else? Lowering your DHEA. So other forms of stress are relationships, um, potentially like the quality of your diet. So not necessarily like food sensitivities, food allergies, but are you eating a lot of fried food, fast food, quick food? Are you not chewing your food well? Um, Are you not sitting down and relaxing before a meal? With DHEA, we want to look at all those potential sources of stress, whether it be food related, diet related, um, lifestyle related, or emotional, whatever it may be. Um, that's, that's where that comes from. And then from there, uh, often those things will start to start to look better and start to resolve, but it takes a, sometimes it takes a trained eye to figure out what exactly is going wrong with you. So if you really are having struggles with that and nothing that you're doing is working, that would be time, you know, to kind of like look at working with a professional because this is what we're trained to do. Right. Um, so yeah, so I hope that helps. Those are three of the questions I've gotten recently. But if you have a question, feel free to fill out the Google form um, and ask it. And hopefully um, I will be able to answer it on the podcast. Um, And I think that's it for the today, guys. I'm just going to wrap it up. But thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And uh, I hope that you guys have a really good week.
If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.